Hey, it's Toph, and welcome to part two of episode 47. Last part, we did Use Your Illusion 1, so you can imagine what we're doing here in part two, that is Use Your Illusion 2, led by the great nubs, with some fun and games included. So, welcome back, Use Your Illusion 2. Yeah, on. Two twins. Ooh, yeah. Part two of Use Your Illusion. T. Welcome to part two. Part duh of duh. What yeah. we have here is <laughs> failure to communicate. Some men you just can't read. Like you, T. Is it read or reach? Oh, I don't know. I never listen to lyrics. Well, that's not really lyrics. That's more of a speech. <laughs> yes. From a, yeah. From a war film, I believe, right? I don't know. What is that from? It's from Cool Hand Luke. I knew you'd know that. Good research, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put you on the spot right away, and you, and you knocked it down with the research. That's knocked what. it out of the park. So it'll be the more, uh, the more musical episode, since we're looking at the more musical album of the duo, in my mm. opinion. Mm. You know, don't you think, T? I think that's fair. Are you use your illusion to out or are you like, are you ready for more? Like, how are you feeling? Because when people bought these records in 1991, I'm sure some people got through one and were like, oh my gosh, there's a whole nother one, yeah. which could bring excitement or, you know, <laughs> exhaustion. So how are you feeling about, you know, album two here and, and diving into it? You know, I, I don't blame anyone for eventually feeling use your illusion to out. I, I really can't blame anyone for it. It's understandable. Uh, me personally, I personally believe, I don't think I could ever be use your illusion out. So I'm probably exempt from that. But I do understand why when you get through 30 freaking tracks of music that all came out on the same day, you know, you talked about double album syndrome a little bit last uh, in part one, right? I get it. But I don't know. I just, I love this band so much. I, I don't, I don't know that it, that applies to me. How about you? I'm definitely ready because I think the intrigue of the album is, is still there as we talked about in the part one of this episode. I, uh, the one thing that's interesting as you dive into two is you realize we've used the term double album a lot. This actually technically is not a double album and we won't do nerdy deets again, but we'll remind people that you know, user illusion two was released on the same exact day as user illusion one, but two separate releases, two separate packages. Yep. And therefore, you know, two separate chart <laughs> angles, which is just kind of hilarious because this took over at number one, taking the place of user illusion one at the top of the charts, you know? And so it's very strange the way that this all kind of came to be but it's not really a traditional double album like the white album or like melancholy and the infinite sadness which we referenced in the last episode 
it's two separate albums released on the same day. And there's something really ambitious about that, but clearly there's something, how do you say it to you? A little bit egotistical, maybe. I mean, is that, is that fair? Is that a fair criticism to use? I think indulgent, which a word we've used before on the podcast and on the old podcast here probably applies. For sure. So indulgence will be one of the keys as we dive into use your illusion two and, you know, same release date, same label, same band members, although we'll get into a couple of the variations. And five singles from User Illusion 2, You Could Be Mine, Knocking on Heaven's Door, so another cover that became a single, Yesterday's Civil War, and last was Estranged, which came out as a single T. This is interesting. On December 17th of 1993, that's two years plus after the release of this album. Hmm. Now, is that because User Illusion 2 was so magnificent that it had such a long shelf life? Or is it because the band was such a mess during that time that they had no clue what was going to come next and what came next was this spaghetti incident, but they just kept churning out singles to try and keep the machine going. Well, yeah, clearly the the machine kept going and it was probably to an extent all the above. I think part of the, you know, sort of uh, aspect of that was also that they continued to tour. I mean, they just, as we talked about in part one, they just toured the hell out of this basically over a two and a half year span. So, you know, they were still in the public eye. They were still relevant. They were still getting the material out there, you know, not just a live setting, but in a live arena setting in a grand setting. I mean, these guys were pulling in enormous crowds, particularly during the Metallica tour. So it just seemed like they had the ability both through the material itself and through their hard work. I mean, these guys, they were a bit of a disaster, but they worked hard. They were on the road constantly. And, you know, probably part of what wore them down, probably part of what got them into some, uh, you know, perhaps a little bit of substance trouble, you know, I think is uh, well documented. Um, but, you know, listen, when you're on the road working that hard, you're going to get some of the drawback and you're going to get some of the fatigue, but also you're going to get some of the benefit, you know, of, of kind of keeping the material and keeping yourself at the forefront. And, Hey, whether it was Axel getting arrested or another riot in the parking lot, I think it had an impact on uh, positively on keeping this album sustained over time. Well said all around. See, I, I agree with all that. And uh, I tell you what, T, one, one thing you and I never have is a failure to communicate. <laughs> well, we've maybe had one or two in our uh, in our life. But yeah, we we try to not have too much failure. To communicate. To communicate. Some man you just can't, and who knows what he says next. <laughs> Is it read, reach? I don't know. I'm going to have our crack team look that up uh, <laughs> yeah. throughout the episode, see if they can come up with an answer. Love it. Love it. Well, let's, uh, well, I think it's time to. Uh, no, I'm just breaking in here. Our crack team has already come up with an answer. It's, wow. Uh, they fast. <laughs> pretty amazing uh it is reach some men you just can't reach so just sorry to interrupt i just wanted to give you the update on the crack team they, they were digging on that one for a while so as always my interpretation of anything lyrical and music was dead wrong so there you go. <laughs> i i suffer from that same uh you know syndrome we we, we must have uh, been we must have been born with that buddy yeah we're going to talk it up to that for sure all right t well let's uh get into use your illusion too and uh it's time to drop the needle on the record When the drum beats go like this. Hello, 
I don't need your civil war. A song that is packed with different. What do they call them now? When you hide something in the, uh, not a cupcake. What's that called? See, what's that? Pop cultures. Taylor Swift did it. Where, like, you hide a meaning into something. It's uh, shit. What do they call that, man? I I have no clue. <laughs> it's <laughs> I like it. it's like a modern term. I'm not up on my Taylor Swift uh, here of recent, but uh, you know, I, it's not a snowflake and it's not a cupcake. Uh, it's a oh, what is it? It's like a hidden meaning in something that you have to look for. Is it uh, angel food cake? <laughs> oh it, man, I, I I can't remember what it chocolate is. cake. It could be chocolate cake. Uh. Is it uh, some other form of dessert? (laughs) Oh, T, T, it's called an Easter egg. Are you familiar with this? Oh, uh, no. Yeah, so an Easter egg is like a hidden meaning or a hidden message or a secret message into something, right? Okay. So anyway, I'm not even sure that's what Axel was doing here because it's more explicit, but I just want to mention the Easter egg. I'm just kind of impressed that you're down with some. Obviously, this is some, uh, you know, sort of uh, current modern, uh, you know, maybe like Gen Z type thing. And look at you. You're all down with it. Oh, I'm so cool. I'm so hip. You are. I'm so I'm really, really hip. Don't sell yourself short, Judge. (laughs) So it's got the before mentioned Cool Hand Luke line, which opens the song. It quotes a speech, good job, Maestro, on that bit where Axel's going on and on about the vacuum. That's from a speech called Peruvian Shining Path, which Axel literally quotes verbatim near that middle section in, in open up of the song. So good job on the clip. The whistling part in the intro and outro is a sample of the American Civil War song, When Johnny Comes Marching Home. So that's, you know, Axel wasn't just sort of riffing off of his own melody. He took that because he was a whistler. He, he, he whistled in patience and maybe, maybe a couple other, uh, GNR songs. So yes, yes. That one, he actually didn't whistle. You're saying interesting for sure. Well, he whistled it, but he didn't make up the melody. Oh, so he performed the whistle. He did just, okay. I got you. Exactly. But he, but he ripped the melody off. It's basically a whistling sample, you know, music history is just packed with whistling samples. But it, the, the song to me is, is actually, you know, stands out for another more musical uh, exception versus the rest of Use Your Illusion. Do you know what it is? T? What, it, did you notice just one part of this song is just so much better than all of the other songs on Use Your Illusion? And I'll give you a hint. We touched on it in part one. The, the aspect of Guns N' Roses personnel that I really don't like at all. Well, I know that you were very, very hard on poor Matt Sorum. Yes. Uh, Yes. So does he play into this? He does play into this. This is the last Guns N' Roses song with Steven Adler on drums. And I got to tell you, you Ah, can tell. Yeah. You know what? You're going to (laughs) write. Now, does that prove the Matt Sorum argument when you hear that? When you hear that, because this song does have a much better feel. It drives better. Adler really captures the changes well, unlike Sorum, who's just sloppy all around. I think that's a pretty solid argument for what you're saying. You you definitely can tell 
you know, from a groove standpoint, the song has a lot of groove to it, right? Especially during the choruses. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a good call. And I did not know that. Well, well played. Well, we're going to find out if there's anything else you don't know when it comes to personnel of this band. Because, T, it's time to play a game. Give me that. Give me that theme music. Come on. Just oh, play. yeah. Let's go. Yeah, give me that theme music, man. Let's go. You're going to like this one. And now, on episode 47 of Two Twins and an Album, we welcome you to the game that is sweeping the nation. Ladies and gentlemen, today's contestant, T, will be playing. Were they in Guns N' Roses or Fleetwood Mac? (laughs) Now let's welcome everybody. Today's special guest contestant wearing a sleeveless t-shirt and looking (laughs) dapper as always. The freshly shaven and freshly clever. He... That was like the best intro ever. <laughs> why, why haven't you been doing these games? Yeah, he, should, he should be doing these. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the first edition of Were They in Guns N' Roses or Fleetwood Mac? <laughs> See, I have a list. Now, give me your hands. Give me those hands right now. How, how could I even possibly give Google me those hands? Now, you're going to find out what this is like. It's not as uh, easy as it looks, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Keep those hands nice and high. See, I have a list of 10 band members and your job is to tell me whether said band member was in Guns N' Roses or Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) This is great. I can't wait to play this. Okay. Both bands had an abundance of members, both in their live formations and in their studio. So this would be anybody who was a member of the band in either setting. Okay. All right. Both had... A ridiculous amount of members. All right. <laughs> all right. Keep those hands up. Give me those hands. All right. All right. Let's no, go ahead. No Googling. No Googling. I promise. Start the unbelievably hilarious uh, background music, please. Well, that means I have to put one hand down. Real quick. Okay. Let's see. All right. Okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> okay, team. Here we go. Number one. I okay. will tell you a band member's name. I will not give any additional information. Okay. And you will tell me whether they were in Guns N' Roses. Or Fleetwood Mac. Now, T, you will get 10 of these. What do you think is a worthy number to get correct in a game of this fashion? Um, I think I'd be happy with three. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not a bad barometer. Okay. T has set three. You know, I really, it's hard to say. Like, I asked you that question on Led Zeppelin, and you were able to kind of say, well, I know their catalog pretty well, et cetera. You know, my study on Fleetwood Mac band members uh, in the last, you know, uh, 140 years that they've been together, you know, I haven't really dove into it. So I'm going to say my target goal is probably a bit lower than than yours had been. So why don't we say five? Why don't we say five? Okay, let's go with the number five. (laughs) Fabulous. I'll sandbag a little bit. Okay. All right. Our first name in the game. Were they in Guns N' Roses or in Fleetwood Mac? Is Paul Tobias. Was Paul Tobias in Guns N' Roses or Fleetwood Mac? Guns N' Roses. That is correct. Paul Tobias (laughs) played guitar in Guns N' Roses from 1994 to 2002. Very good. All right. 
All right. What, what's he doing one. now? Is he like in a mental institution after <laughs> being, being in the band for that long? Yeah, that could be. That could be. Okay, T, good job. Thank you. Can we stop now? Or Yeah, let's just stop at one. <laughs> All right. Are you ready, T? I think so. All right. Number two is Brian Carroll. Was Brian Carroll in Guns N' Roses or in Fleetwood Mac? Guns N' Roses. Wow, he's two for two, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Now, do you know what Brian Carroll's stage name is? I think that's Buckethead, isn't it? That's Buckethead, yes. Yeah. yeah. So Buckethead played guitar for Guns N' Roses on one of their many attempted comeback tours. That's actually the tour I saw. He wore KFC Bucket on his head the whole time. It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Well, they had they had bucket head and bumble foot at various. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Okay, T, are you ready? Uh, not to be confused with uh, their third guitarist later in the tour, uh, uh, Cluster Fuck. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You should see what he wore on his head. <laughs> okay. Number three. Rob Gardner. Um, let's just go play the odds and go Fleetwood Mac. That is incorrect. Ah, Rob Gardner is Guns N' Roses' first drummer. He played drums for the band in 1985. Ah, before Steven Adler. Okay, okay. So you are two for three. Okay, all right. Okay. Are these all going to be Guns N' Roses? <laughs> <laughs> okay, T. Okay. Jeremy Spencer. Fleetwood Mac. That is correct. All right. You're three All for right. four. Jeremy Spencer was a founding member of member of Fleetwood Mac. He played slide guitar and guitar from 67 to 71. Now that was a gamble because I did think for a second maybe you were doing a bet and it was going to be all Guns N' Roses people. So right. you know, you know, kind of kind of went out on the limb on that one. Okay. By the way, I've, I've already hit my goal. Four questions in, I've already yes, hit my goal. Yes, you're doing very well. You're four. Well, I guess I, I revise it to five, so I, 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 actually I haven't. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, here we go. Should have kept it at three. Number six. Billy Burnett. Was Billy Burnett in Guns N' Roses or in Fleetwood Mac? See, this sounds like a very Fleetwood Mac name. Which you know you're pretty you're pretty clever. You may have picked it thinking, oh that sounds like a '70s you know Fleetwood Mac name. Maybe he was like Peter Green's like roommate or something. You know, um, so you may have thought I'd go Fleetwood, but you know what? I'm on to you, and I'm going Guns and Roses. Being led into your thought process was fascinating. You like that? It's actually your thought process. Was I right? It sounds like Fleetwood Mac because it was Fleetwood Mac. Oh no! You reverse Burnett. psychology. You did Rever reverse psychology. I, I just did a little reverse psychology. <laughs> Billy Burnett played guitar for Fleetwood Mac from eighty-seven to ninety-three, Shit. and from ninety-four to ninety-five. Yeah. Should have just should have just trusted my instincts on that one. Saddle up, partner. Yeah, should have. Okay, you're you're still doing very well. You're four of six. Here's number seven. Are you ready, T? Do we do six or do we do five? 
We've done six. You're, you're four, six. Of okay. six. You're okay. four of six. You're four of six. You've missed two. Okay. Questioning the host's math. <laughs> okay, see, here's number seven now. Okay. Tommy Stinson. Guns N' Roses, for sure, because he was the guitar player for the replacements. That is correct, T. Thank you. Thank you. You are five of... Do I get an extra point for my my assuredness and naming his former band? You do. You do. I I think that definitely deserves some extra praise. And uh, (laughs) I will tell you, that was the easiest one for sure. Okay. Easiest one. Okay. Why you got to make me feel worse about (laughs) Yeah, all right. Here's number eight. You're doing very well. Thank you. You're five of seven. Okay. Okay, T, are you feeling really confident right now? No. 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 (laughs) Brett Tuggle. Fleetwood Mac. You answer that with great decisiveness. Is there a reason for it? No. Not, Not at all. I might as well have flipped a coin. Brett Tuggle was in Fleetwood Mac. Wow. Wow. He was actually a very long-standing member from 97 on the dance all the way to 2018. He played keyboards, backing vocals, and guitar. Now, which member of the band did he sleep with? Yeah. <laughs> all of them, boy. All of them. <laughs> okay, number nine. And what do I have? Seven? You're, you are right now. You're six of eight. Six, six of eight. Okay. And this is number nine. Steve Toma. Uh, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac is correct. Wow. Keyboards and percussion in 94 and 95. Let's go to Vegas. Wow. Telling you what, man. Telling you what? All right. Number 10. Are you ready, T? Yeah. Do you think you can get the last one? No. I think my luck has run out. Lindsay Buckingham. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Nice. Nice. DJ Ashba. Guns N' Roses, 100%. How do you know that? Because he was on the Chinese Democracy Tour when I saw them. Ah, well, you are correct. DJ Ashba was a member of Guns N' Roses. saying, you, my friend, got eight of ten. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. On the, were they in Guns N' Roses or Fleetwood Mac game? That is exceptional. Well, buddy, listen. Sun shines on a dog's ass every now and again, doesn't it? I did get you on that reverse psychology, though. Yeah, that was it. Yep, yep. Can but I turn still, this music off? It's, it's, please, yeah, turn it off. Please, my goodness. Good, jeez, oh, please. You're making me crazy. <laughs> Great game. Wow, what a, what a, what a clever. Guns and Roses or Fleetwood Mac? I like it. It's a game that's sweeping the nation. Every all the kids are doing. Oh yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. They're all playing it for sure. Anything else on Civil War? T. <laughs> just to, just to loop it back to the drag my track. <laughs> Uh, great game. I, I, I love civil war. You know, it's certainly one of the strong points of, um, of the record. I do like how it kicks off, um, you know, part two. 
it's an appropriate kickoff. It's mid tempo. Um, you've got all the instrumentation, you know, you've got great piano work, obviously to your point about the drum work, it's, it's a, you know, I think if you are feeling a little fatigued after one per your question here from the get go and you pop this in and you kicked off with civil war, I think you were pretty re-energized and, uh, and that's when, you know, the, some of the sequencing on this stuff is really good and really smart. And I, I don't think they could have come up with a better way. If this were to be a single album, I'd probably put this in the middle, maybe kicking off or being kind of early on in side two or, or even maybe late on side one. But uh, the lead track here on uh, Use Your Illusion 2, I think it was a very good call. There's a couple of parts in this song that stand out as some of my favorites on the two album package one of which is you know the the opening sets a mood but when i think it slashes strum it really sounds like it although izzy's tone you know sometimes you can mix them up but yeah when it rings out and then axel comes with the in the i think it's my hands are tied yep my hands are tied i would guess that uh izzy's doing the the uh picking part and that that's a slash that that sounds like his you know, stack Les Paul tone that I've never been able to recreate. I, I would guess that's him. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But I, I love the way that kind of elevates. It's it's a really strong opening track for this album. And one of the reasons why I, I do prefer Use Your Illusion 2 over 1 is just the sequencing sets a little bit more of a story. Civil War is a perfect opening track. You know, it starts off with mood, but it ends up heavy and it's got some adventure to it. it. To me, it really captivates you in. And again, you're trying to keep your attention on a two album set here that has a lot of music on it. So I think it does its job in that way. Only to go into track two, which is 14 years. So they just had to get like one more kind of rollicking bluesy thing in here with the piano, you know, before they started getting into other explorations. It's not my favorite on Use Your Illusion 2. I I do think it's a really good sounding song and the honky tug piano thing is kind of cool, but I feel like we've already sort of been here on Use Your Illusion 1. What do you think of 14 years? I I actually really like it because, uh, you know, I, I agree with you that that honky tonk bluesy thing kind of you know, uh, has been done already throughout part one. The one thing I like about 14 years is it has this driving element to it, right? So it's not just the bouncy kind of thing that you, you get at times throughout here. It sort of combines a real driving rock feel. Um, and I actually do think, you know, uh, while it's not a difficult part, I think it's played well by Sorum here and kind of making this not just a sort of skippy, poppy, bluesy uh, beat and vibe to it, but it actually being a driving rock beat with some of these piano and blues kind of elements over it. So I actually think it combines, um, it really melds together a lot of the different genres and approaches of Use Your Illusion as a whole into one song. I like both track twos on these. I mean, Dustin Bones, I think similar reason to 14 years. I think they both kind of do their job in track two of not sort of doing the traditional, you know, put your single in track two deal, but 
kind of melding together a lot of what you're experiencing here on this set. I think you get that in the track too in both sides. So I actually like 14 years quite a bit. You know, you see those songs that kind of grow on you, you know, and sometimes they take a few days, a few weeks. Sometimes they might take, you know, 20 years. Track three is that one for me. And I got to say, if we're going to give Sorm a little love, I do like his playing here. And that is number three, which is Yesterday's. Kind of to show you the 11-year-old mentality or 12-year-old mentality. One of my criticisms of yesterday's early on was I thought they were, <laughs> just get this, I thought they were ripping off the Beatles because they called the song yesterday's. I was like, there's already a yesterday. It was by the Beatles. <laughs> Very ill-advised <laughs> criticism by young nubs. <laughs> well, I wonder if the maybe they'd really be ripping them off if the working title of this one was Scrambled X. Then, right. then, we'd, then we'd really know they were, you know. Yeah. I didn't love yesterday's when it first came out, even though I did. I remember at a young age appreciating that it showed the range. Now I see it as perhaps one of the best pieces of songwriting on both albums. I mean, I just think it has a nice flow. It's very smooth. Surprised it wasn't an even bigger hit, although I think it did well, but sure. it was amongst such grand pieces that this is sort of the, the pop song, if you will. And uh, it's grown on me over time. And now at this point, I, I really, really love it. I think it was an important single off of this set, you know, because you knew you were going to get, I mean, obviously you had these couple of cover songs and that was cool. And then you had these more epic things with civil war and with November rain and and that sort of thing. I think to have something that was a little bit more, um, you know, dare I say it sort of lively, you know, and, and up tempo, I think showed the range, even to those that were casual listeners. Now, if you were into these guys and into this set, you didn't need to be, you know, you didn't need to have that proven to you if you were just watching MTV or sort of, you know, on the periphery here, but interested a song like yesterday's, I think really showed a lot of people, you know, damn, this is a diverse offering. This is something that's worth checking out. And yeah, it was a good single. It was a successful, you know, video and, and certainly a different look for those who didn't dive in as hard um, to this set as many others. But yeah, I, I think it was actually a really important single for these guys around this time. I also think Axel really shines here with yeah. a pure vocal performance. You know, he, he's got the sing, he's got a little bit of the croon, he's got the yell and it all just works. I, I think this is a terrific performance by W Axel Rose. Indeed. All right, man. Not as good as the cover on one, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I really hated this when it came out. And that is the seemingly never-ending cover of Bob Dylan's <laughs> Knocking on Heaven's Door. See, it's June of 2021, and the refrain of Knocking on Heaven's Door is still going. <laughs> kind of like uh paris campbell is still running yes, yes yeah yeah you know um i mean it's cool you know and it was huge i mean this was a big deal and 
yeah, it's a little, it's a little long in the tooth, but you know, the call and answer, I think is kind of neat. And some of the guitar ringing tones are really good. Um, I mean, I agree with you. If you got to go this or live and let die, I think that that one wins on the, uh, cover situation, but this was a, was a huge song. Um, kind of cool of them to do it. I don't love it, but I certainly don't hate it. You know, I think it's, I had to go a few years without it. You know, it kind of got to you. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I think after you take about a 10 year break or so from it and then you, (laughs) and then you decide to bring it back, it's, uh, it actually becomes quite appealing again. I think live this turned into a, like a 14 minute thing, didn't it? It's just sort of never ended. I, I think a lot of what these guys did off these records turned into a 14 minute thing live. Yeah. Well, well, and some of it is, is some of the most brilliant stuff of, of that decade. Not this, I, even on revisit, I would say it's, it's not as, it's not as awful as I used to think it was. <laughs> right. And maybe there's just a little bit more appreciation for Dylan and whatever, but yeah, I don't, it just, it just never the, ends. The other thing I would say it, it, again, I mean, it's a good vocal. He covers a lot of different ranges here throughout the verses and the choruses and then the call and answer. I mean, you're getting full axle here. So even if you put the song aside and and sort of the, um, I guess the sort of tiredness of it, if you just key in on Axel's vocal performance top to bottom, it's pretty damn strong. Well, this song probably best captured the, you know, that, 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 that Axel move. I actually thought you best captured that during the intro. (laughs) Pretty well done, actually. It's terrible. I don't know how he used to do all of this night by night. I guess, you know, they, they spaced out the dates on their tours. And, and if you watched a year and a half of the life of Metallica, his rider was pretty, uh, you know, it contained some things that were good for his voice. I think, you know, the Subi honey. Axel pose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, listen, when, when you're a genius, you know, these things just tend to come easy. There you go. Well, we'll get to some genius stuff later in track five. It's not as much about genius as it is. Axel just being really, really pissed. Yeah. So in an album that is so musical and really brings out the musicality of Guns N' Roses, Get in the Ring does not have that purpose. It has a entirely different purpose, but a message that I think got clearly sent. Get in the Ring. <laughs> I mean, so Axel. I, I I always wondered what the rest of the band was thinking about all this. You know, I I don't think the rest of the band knew what was going on at this point. I, you know, um, I I like when he's singling out the. Uh, it's actually great history yeah. when, he, when yeah. he's singling out the rock magazines. You know, he's like Circus Magazine, and uh, you know. People will probably listen to that now and they're like, what the hell is he talking about? Dude, so, he name drops journalists. Yeah. He Doesn't he say, he say Mick Wall or it's yeah. one of the guys from the nineties that he. Yeah. I mean, he'd, he'd probably get put in jail for doing that today. You know, for those that weren't kind of in this heyday, there were these magazines where they were basically tabloids for music. Um, but, you know, also did some honest investigative reporting. And mostly you just bought these magazines for the pictures, you know, and, and, and the bands would be posing and, you know, they were designed to be cut out and put up on your wall. 
you know, a couple of them had written apparently things that Axel didn't like. So he decided that they needed a song to uh, <laughs> basically uh, express his, uh, his, his lack of joy for being a part of some of these publications. It, it, the, Get in the Ring is kind of the song that gets pointed to the most, I think, by people who are making the case that this, this double album approach contained too much filler at times and sort of unnecessary tracks. I think, it, you know, whenever you uh, have somebody making that case, they're often pointing to get, get in the ring. And that's because it's not that great of a song. It became a bit notorious for the section where we just heard a little bit of it, where Axel's going on his rant. And I don't know, I guess for that, again, typical Guns N' Roses, even when they're bad, they kind of find a way to make it noticeable. Um, but this one could be best described as uh, a filler track, uh, but one that's interesting and became discussed nonetheless. I think what's ironic to me is that between 1988 and 1991, nobody was given more attention. And I would say lots of positive attention from critics than Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses. I mean, they were darlings, if you really think about it. Appetite for Destruction was hailed as this you know, second coming of rock and roll. And he did a lot of things to bring some negative attention on himself, oh, yeah. but then he got mad at, you know, circus magazine for printing it. And so it's just, the whole thing was very, you know, it, it was flooded with contradictions. And I mean, Axel's a very tortured guy. I mean, there's no question. He, and I, and I think in his later years, that's become a bit less, but a true artist, um, a sort of a mad genius, I think. And a guy that could never get out of his own way, you know, and probably surrounded himself with band members that couldn't get out of their own way either. And that's, you know, I don't think there was an adult in the room a lot of times with these guys. Certainly you could chalk it up to mismanagement. I think it could also be chalked up to impossible management, right? I mean, I think anybody that was tasked with trying to get this collection of and like we said in part one, make no mistake, these are artists, you know, um, but trying to get these guys as a collective under control probably was an impossible task. And, and Axel certainly was the, uh, the ringleader um, in sort of making it so they were a band that, boy, they could have just been incredible as far as perception and as far as, you know, accolades and those things but kind of to your point did bring a lot of that on themselves and sort of couldn't get out of their own way a lot of the time see there was an adult in the room it was slash oh yeah Saul. slash, slash yeah. was the adult in the room which might explain a few things <laughs> you know? all right well you know let's just get one last you know blues reference in here and uh the axel rose pen track six shotgun blues If we're going to go blues, this is the way to do it. You know, pick up the tempo. And I, I don't really think it's all that bluesy. I just think he's singing shotgun blues. But you get back to that kind of Axel hip hop, fast paced yeah. vocal thing over the uh, the choruses and stuff. But I I like the way it sort of rollicks along. What do you think of shotgun blues? I love it. I mean, it's it's kind of short and sweet. It's three minutes, 20. I think that's got to be one of the shorter songs on the entire set, certainly on part two. Um, but I like how it's tightened to the point. 
you know, there are kind of varying sections coming out of that solo section is really cool. Um, yeah, man, this is, I was driving, got my Jeep now, got my gladiator with the top down, you know, summertime doing the Jeep wave is the Jeep wave for real. Oh, it is so for real. And you know what? I love it. You know, you either do the wave, you either do the wave or you do the peace sign. Oh, very yeah. nice. Oh, it's That's... very, I, I thought at first I thought it was maybe some dumb, I mean, it's, it's the real deal. It's great. It's a great brotherhood. Us, us, you know, I'm a Jeep guy now. So you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guy. but, but no, I was blaring uh user illusion two um, down the highway, top down, getting ready for this here episode here. Um, in addition to studying my Fleetwood Mac band members and all that too. And um Shotgun Blues came out and it was just like, wow, this, this thing really hauls. It was a great, great song to roll down the highway to. I really like it. Was the car top down too, or just your top? Well, you know, listen, I've done that too. Um, you know, so uh, I'm never afraid to drop the top. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, how about the hidden epic on Use Your Illusion 2? You know, there, there's, I would say on the, across the whole series, most people think they know all the epics, but there's one that maybe some don't know as well. And that is track seven breakdown. When there ain't enough for me to go around, I'd rather be left alone. But if I call you out, I have it. I'm out of love and I gotta have it. Would you give it to me if you don't need it? Great example of, uh, you know, don't judge a song by its first 15 seconds. Because the intro is like, oh gosh, here we go again with some thing. Almost like country, strummy sort of deal. Maybe even blues again, but it opens up into this totally unique thing with the cut time and not cut time and then back to cut time. And it's a bit of a prog jam, I would say just with the way that everything links together. But the the key is Axel's piano play, you know, which, which guides all of the epics on these two albums. And I think it's a terrific relationship that's going on here between the piano and all the guitars and of course, Axel's voice. What do you think of breakdown? Yeah, and, and who was the writing credit on this? Was it was it solely Axel? Axel by himself. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to your point, kind of within that family of Axel piano driven epics, it takes a while to understand. You gotta listen to breakdown a bunch to sort of understand the sections, the progressions, the twists and turns, the ebbs and flows. There's a lot happening here in this seven minute piece. It's not as easy as estranged or as November rain and that it hits you over the head right away and you sort of get it. This is one that you got to take some spins on, but once you do, it's pretty damn good. And, and I think a very cool, um, you know, obviously th- there are a handful of epics on, on this entire set. It's probably not going to be talked about as one of the better ones compared to the others. But I think when you dig into it and you gain more of an understanding of what they were doing here on breakdown, it's pretty cool. Pretty interesting. To me, it's, you know, we've already traveled to some interesting places with Civil War and yesterday's, but Breakdown's the beginning of the heart of the album where things really do get very, very interesting. You start to see Guns N' Roses do some things that you hadn't even seen on the previous, you know, however many tracks we've traveled so far. And there's a little run here that starts to really challenge what Guns N' Roses, you know, is there to do and what the listener expects. And that certainly continues with, you know, the next couple tracks. We get into another epic later, but there's an in-between that is Izzy Stradlin all the way. He's a soul songwriter on this one. And that is Pretty Tied Up. It's my 
Lady tied up. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the cowbell, baby. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually about as metal as Use Your Illusion gets, in my opinion. If you look at just the song structure, the riff, the chorus that it lifts to, it's pretty damn metal if you think about it. But I, I love that everything gets you to that chorus, just the cobble pretty down up. Dude, dude. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a jam. You know, uh, again, you're getting moments here on two that, again, it's just this sort of diverse offering. But I like when you get into shotgun blues, you get into pretty tied up and you're just sort of pumping your fist. I think that's good. You know, I think that's good. And you get a little bit more of that while two is a little bit more musical. You get a couple fist pumpers here on two that you didn't get on one. And, uh, and I think that that's a, a, those are a good couple of examples there. Great to see a, an Izzy contribution. Um, and part of what I think is great about this set is this doesn't feel siloed. While you did have some songs that were all Axel as far as composition, all Izzy as far as composition, you know, Slash has a little bit of a heavier hand uh, on composition here on two than he does on one. It never feels like they're not a band, you know, because you still have the instrumentation contributions. You still have the guitar contributions and this sort of yin and yang between the rhythm guitar, which is always exceptional, and the lead playing, which is obviously Slash. What else do you need to say? It all seems to work. So I think part of what's cool about this whole effort is while it was separated in sometimes as far as who was bringing more of the ideas and more of the composition, it never really feels disjointed or siloed like some other, you know, double albums do. And certainly some other albums where you have a lot of different writing taking place within different pockets of the band. The the album did get an original vinyl release. It was on double vinyl. And the way that the song structure works out, and I, don't know, I don't know how intentional this was. Each side of the vinyl has one of the epic songs on it. So, you know, record one side, one is Civil War. Record one side two has Breakdown. Pretty Tied Up starts record two side three and then follows that side's epic, which is the eight minute and 42 second locomotive. It's like the stepbrother of Pretty Tied Up, just longer. You know, it's got the cowbell drop and all sorts of really cool riffage. It sounds to me, T, like this is the most appetite for destruction-ish track, certainly of the epics that spread across the two albums. Yeah, I I think that's that's fair, yeah. And I really do think the riff, all the riffs that this song are, are based around are really, really strong. But in the end, man, the cowbell. You know, it makes everything happen. <laughs> Your boy, Matt Sorum, just really, really hitting that cowbell perfectly. Yeah. You know, um, it's cool because I agree with you. I think there is sort of an appetite vibe to this, but you're taking kind of that approach and you're evolving it. You know, you're putting it into something that's longer, that's more drawn out, that's more sectioned, right? So this could have been an easy four minute, just appetite for destruction, just rocker. And they could have just ran that same play, but they said, let's take this feel and let's take this approach and let's 
expand on it and evolve it. And that's, what's great about user illusion just as a whole. And, uh, and locomotives, uh, I mean, it's a favorite, you know, it's one that the real sort of deep GNR fans, um, appreciate because it's epic without being overly dramatic, you know, and that's sometimes when these guys were at their best and, you know, their dramatic epics were great too, but sometimes their jam, you know, kind of upbeat, uh, you know, more longer pieces, um, which you get a bit with breakdown and certainly you get in, in most of the sections here on locomotive, uh, provide a lot of strength. It does seem like, you know, just in my observation of Guns N' Roses fans, true fans, not, you know, you know not the fringy kind of people that liked a few songs. I bet if you did a poll, Locomotive would do very well on favorite songs. It just strikes me as like a fan favorite. And to your point, I think it gets into what a lot of people really like about the band, but in a more drawn out way. And that's pretty cool. You can't say any of that for track 10, where Duff steps up to the forefront both as a songwriter and performer with the rather forgettable So Fine. Who let Duff sing? Come on, man. You got Axel in the band and Duff? Yeah, I mean, like, Somebody must have lost a poker game over this one or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how Duff was able to get so fine onto the record. Um, probably should have been a B side or something. I mean, again, you know, they they in many cases asked for some of the and invited some of the criticism on there being some unnecessary tracks on this, or why didn't you take out, you know, eight of these songs and make like the greatest album of all time, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I guess it would take more than eight, but you know, you get the point. Um, but yeah, it's, I agree with you. It's kind of a, it's kind of a forgettable one here, but sets up the next one, doesn't it? All right, man. Listen, are you a November rain person or are you an estranged person? Cause there's, you're only one or the other. And we'll talk about which ones we are after we get into the pinnacle and that is estranged. Oh, Maestro, do you have to do you have to fade it out? Oh. I, yeah, there we go. <laughs> We're gonna break the law here if we're not careful. So T, most kids of the 90s can not only describe the November Rain video, but most of them can hum the guitar solo. It, it's iconic, right? As we talked about. Yeah. As strange comes along and does a very similar thing to November Rain, but in a less structured, yet much more, you know, sort of bombastic and, and, and lawless way. There's no rules on estranged. There's no chorus on estranged. It just winds and turns and winds and turns, but but doesn't lose any sense of that drama. So, T, where do you fall when you look at the two, in my opinion, major epics? on the album, not just in time, but in, you know, exactly the melodies that they put together. 
Where do you fall? November rain or estranged? Why, why, why you got to ask me a question like this? <laughs> yeah. You know, you gotta take I mean, a stand in life, man. You know, oh, come on. Um, All right. Let's start here. Estranged or so fine. Which, which would you say? <laughs> um, it's so tough. It's such a tough one. I mean, obviously they both have similarities. They both have differences. Um, they're both incredible, you know? I mean, if you have to pick one up and take it with you and leave the other one behind, I guess I'm going to go. Well, I'm, it's, it's a difficult decision, but I would pick November rain and probably not think twice about it. But I mean, they're both incredible songs. Where do you, where do you land, buddy? I'm definitely in the estranged camp. Yeah. And uh, November rain, which I love is still a song. And to me, estranged is a piece, you know, it's every time I hear estranged, I hear something different that I didn't hear before. And I can't say that about November rain. And some of that might be, you know, just how overplayed it was, particularly with the video, but there's just a couple of magical moments on estranged. I think that Axel's piano playing is more impressive in the way that it guides the song. I love your, your clip was sort of building toward it, but that, that kind of whole section where, Axel's really singing, you know, you know, there's some rhythmic things. And, you know, I see estranged as more of a sort of close to the edge kind of thing. Whereas November rain is just more of like a Bohemian Rhapsody sort of deal. You know, your maestro struggled on that one. It's an impossible song to find the right section, you know, (laughs) impossible four or five that you just, you know, but yeah. and, and really, how about the, um, I think the whole intro is great too. Again, like I said earlier, sets a, sets a real atmosphere, yeah. but then the near, new, 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 I mean, slash is like on fire in the song. And when Axel comes in with that first big vocal with that, how it was going to be. And I still see the clips of him live mm-hmm. with that white microphone, you know, Oh yeah. Doing that really dramatic performance and everything. It's just, you know, they were so dialed in at this point. The version of this on that, uh, live appetite, whatever it's called, um, is just incredible. And there's also one on live era, which captures it during that time. So you can hear the version on the use your illusion tour on live era. And you can hear the more current recent version on, uh, the appetite for democracy, and they're both outstanding. I'm more familiar with the live era one, and I agree. I, I think they're they're definitely worth checking out. And Estranged did have an accompanying video that was just as sort of dramatic as November Rain. And Don't Cry, November Rain, and Estranged made some sort of trilogy, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah, I don't know what kind of wheels that actually got, but it was intended to be some sort of trilogy. And the and the videos are meant to tell this comprehensive story. Or, whatever, but all, all three videos are great. And all three songs are obviously amazing. Right. The, the only, I would say there's a confusing sequencing piece to what comes next, but in the end you think, okay, now, you know, I actually kind of get it, even though it's a little weird. Um, you kind of understand what track 12 is out to do. And it is a song that became a really big hit for the band. And that is you could be mine.
dreadful Matt Sorum drumming there. Come on, it's so, it's so bad. Bring Adler back, man. Let's get him back on, on the skins there. Adler would have been pretty good on this song. Yeah, he would have been actually. really good at this song. All I, all I think about when I hear this song is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator 2. Yeah. Well, th- this, you know, we've talked about how Use Your Illusion 2 was number one on Billboard and Use Your Illusion 1 was number two at their debut. And this was the reason why. You know, this song was basically the lead single because it had come out on that movie soundtrack earlier. So a lot of people had seen uh, You Could Be Mine on the new record and knew it and knew it from the video and Terminator and all that and or T2 and all that, that, that kind of nudged it over the edge of one uh, when the, uh, when the album made its debut. So kind of interesting there, but yeah, it was obviously an important lead for this whole user illusion experience. Do you like it too? Uh, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I think it's, um, it's, it's a little dumb Rocky to use your term. And, um, you know, I think it musically underperforms relative to, to the rest. I mean, coming off of a strange and then doing this is a little bit of a, Hmm. Okay. I guess, but, but again, it's, they were showing so many different looks. The last thing you can criticize is that, you know, it was different than other things you'd heard. I just don't know that it's, I, I would put it at the sort of, certainly the bottom half, maybe even like bottom third um, of thoughtfulness when you go through use your illusion. I mean, whether it's up tempo, mid tempo, slow, epic, short, you know, a lot of this was extremely thoughtful. Whereas I've, I felt like you could be mine is a little bit dumb, Rocky. Well, it's good that you could be mine ends the album so we can move on now. And uh, <laughs> no kidding. Let's uh, let's just go right to the uh, final cut. And uh, I know, I know in my God, if it just could have ended there, I, I just end it with a blistering. You could be mine and just, Oh, I'm hoping our illustrious host can maybe explain this because uh, I've never been able to understand. Explain what? Explain the album's over. It's done. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess for the credibility of the show, we better, you know, actually complete. <laughs> no. Why, 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 why? All right. Well, there are two tracks that follow. <laughs> uh, it's such a beautiful song, too. And they just diluted it. Why? All right. Well, the band. Yeah. Let's just let's just say that. You could be mine ends use your illusion two in a grand and epic fashion. And we're really glad. And then don't cry alternate in my world. So why did they do this alternate thing? I mean, was there a business reason? Was there a creative reason? I, were they thinking that more people might buy two because it was such a accessible, digestible guns and roses song? Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what, any any rationale here? Well, I I don't know, and probably only one person does know, and that is W. Axel Rose. My guess, as I shared in part one, is I think it was a business decision. I think that when you look at both Use Your Illusion volumes, there's one clear hit on it, smash hit, and that's Don't Cry. You know, November Rain. I'm sure there was a little risk there in releasing. You know, sort of a eight minute or whatever song and playing it in full on rock radio and on MTV at the time. I estranged some of the other things were, were, you know, too long to really catch on. And some of the other things might've been a little too shallow and short to catch on. 
Don't Cry was the automatic going to be a hit. You know, that's one where everybody at the label, I'm sure, just said, this is going to be a smash and we know it before it even gets released. So my guess is that there was a thought of, if you're going to do two albums in the same day, separate albums, you, you better put the surefire thing on both albums. So that if people look at Use Your Illusion 2, if they're trying to decide which one to buy and they look at Use Your Illusion 2, they see Don't Cry, it's like, okay, I'll get it. And if they look at Use Your Illusion 1 and Don't Cry is on there, then they'll get that. You know what I mean? So to me, it just seems like a pure business decision, even from a creative perspective, like the alternate lyrics are not interesting at all. So none of us know for sure, but that, that would be my guess. Was that it purely made the album more marketable and allowed people to buy it based on the fact that the hit, the surefire hit was on it. But it, it, it really does use the right word. It dilutes the song. You know, it, it, it takes away from kind of the majesty of the original that's on volume one. And it almost, I don't know, T, like it almost is like a mockery of the first one. It's just, it's so weird to listen to that song restructured, you know? Yeah, I mean, I very rarely listen to the alternate version, so I don't know. One of rock and roll's great weird mysteries brought to you by a band that was pretty good at that. And then the only, you know, song that is perhaps more unlistenable than that is the closing track, track <laughs> 14. Again, why was it even there? Which is My World. <laughs> yeah i've already turned it off by now thank you yeah you know I've it's already. like we've we've talked on both volumes about axel's like thing with hip-hop and i think he was like oh i'm gonna do my own hip-hop song to close the second album and it's just well the only advantage of this one is it's a minute and 28 seconds so you don't yeah exactly to. very good point so as incredible as the moments are on use your illusion two, and as Brilliant as it opens, it closes in a legendarily terrible way, you know, with those closing two tracks. But let it not take away from the rest of the kind of sheer creativity and courage that it took for the band to write a majority of these songs in, in such a uninfluenced way. You know, they were doing what they were doing and nobody was going to tell them otherwise. And you got to respect that. So Though it winds to a forgettable close, there are many unforgettable moments on Use Your Illusion 2. So T, before we get into the final cut, I want to do this. We talk a lot about the double album syndrome and this whole idea that if you take you know, most double albums and, and create one out of them, that you would have something you know, really, really special and legendary. And so let's test that a little bit as we engage in the 2021 Use your illusion draft. Mm. Okay. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah. Can you, so. is there like a, well, we'd probably get flagged if we, you know, like an, think about like an NFL films theme music. Dun, 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 the use your illusion draft, you know, something like that. I don't know. Can we, can we fire up some like old NFL films music or something? I don't know. What do we got? Welcome to the 2021 Use Your Illusion Draft. <laughs> Where two idiots will draft their favorite songs off Use Your Illusion to take two albums and make them one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Go music. Lions. This music's amazing. Go it's Lions. <laughs> With the first overall pick, Toaf selects Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty good pick. All right, see, so let's let's do a little use your illusion draft here. Now we have to determine the first pick. And uh I'm feverishly looking for anything that I can flip. I don't have a coin on me or what do you got? You got anything <laughs> over there you could flip? Um this is typical two twins in an album preparation. Yeah. Um what do you got? Yeah, I can flip something. Uh well, no, I really can't. He had a Sharpie in his hand. I, I was going to flip a Sharpie. <laughs> you know, how about a, if I had a CD copy of Use Your Illusion, we could flip it. But I don't know. I can flip my phone. Here, I'll flip my phone. Do you want uh, screen side up or screen side down? Okay, I'll take screen side down. Okay, down. No. Okay. okay, you win. Screen okay, side down. Okay, so I'll get the first pick. So we're, we're each picking five songs for a total of 10. So we're going to take these two volumes and condense them into a 10-track album. We can work on sequencing and packaging later. For now, let's just get to our 10 tracks and uh, let's see where we go. So T, my first pick overall, let's see, Nubs is on the clock. Should I bring back the NFL music or? <laughs> well, it looks like the pick is in. All right, here comes the commissioner. Uh, with the first pick in the Use Your Illusion draft 2021, Nubs selects Estranged. Mm, good pick. Written by... Axel Rose from Ohio State University. Yeah. T is on the clock. The Ohio State University. Yes, yes. Better get that one right. T is on the clock. So estranged is off the board. With the second pick of the Use Your Illusion draft, Toph selects Don't Cry. A very solid choice. I think Don't Cry is going to help the T franchise really immediately. Yeah, it's... um. And, oh, and by the way, not the alternate version, the original. Let's go. Yeah, the original. yeah. Let's specify that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The third pick is in. Let's welcome back the commissioner. Now, with the third overall pick in the Use Your Illusion 2021 draft, Nubs selects Civil War. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good one. I think that's a pretty good one. <laughs> I think we need to give this a little soundtrack. All right. All right, Civil War's off the board. Okay. Well, with my second pick of the Use Your Illusion draft, Tove selects November Rain. It's gone. Off the board. November Rain is off the board. So you've selected two songs from Use Your Illusion 2, and I've selected two from Use Your Illusion 1. Interesting. It is, isn't it? Well, let's see. Nubs is back on the clock. Doesn't look like the pick is in. Ah, the pick is in. It has arrived. Let's welcome back the commissioner. Okay. Uh, with uh, the third uh, pick, uh, third round pick in the User Illusion 2021 draft, this is the fifth overall pick. Uh, Nubs selects Live and Let Die. Oh, wow. Really? That's like, wow. That's like when you pick that like right tackle out of Auburn and it's like, mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Where the people there in person, like at the draft, they don't know how, like, how to cheer. They're like cheering, but they're like not really sure who it is or why. Or what they do. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, my third pick 
of the Use Your Illusion Tour. Use Your Illusion Tour. The Use Your Illusion Draft is The Garden. Very nice pick. Very nice. But that's one of those where the analysts say, oh, that's a smart pick. Yeah, the garden's like a like a like a cornerback with good size, good skill, you know, didn't get a lot of notoriety in college, but is gonna come to the league and be a lockdown. I like it. I like it. It looks like Nubs' uh, fourth pick is in. This is uh, number seven overall. So let's bring back the commissioner. And with the uh, fourth round pick and the seventh overall in the user illusion 2021 draft, Nubs selects yesterday's user illusion two. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, question for you is yesterday's going to walk up to the stage, put its hat on, and give the commissioner like this way awkward way too long way too chummy hug oh are those the worst is yesterday's gonna do that or i swear it looks like the commissioner sometimes is just gonna eat the people when he gives them the hug yeah there's a little bit too much man love going on there like too much excitement it looks like he's just about to make out with them you know yeah yeah might be happening backstage (laughs) yeah Uh, yesterday's actually is at home with his family on the couch, just chilling. Yeah. Just Justin Fields style. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 Doesn't need all the fanfare. Just going to hang with his peeps. Yeah. 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 Let's go to T for the, uh, your fourth round pick. My fourth pick in the use your illusion draft is the 10 minute epic coma. Give me coma. Oh, you took oh. it off the board before I could. We need a coma on our team, you know, to, really kind of explore the space it's kind of a it's kind of a multi it's almost like a tight end that can block that can catch that can run um it can sort of do it all and, and without uh, it being like a traditional it's basically travis kelsey is uh is coma so we'll, we'll we'll take we'll take coma fourth round an excellent pick one that i had all teed up so uh you stole that one well, that's the way the cookie crumbles, buddy. That's <laughs> that's the nature of being a general manager in this league. It's tough in this league. It really is. It's this this league is not easy. Right? This league is not easy. All right. Well, Nubs has one more pick, it sounds like, in the fifth round. And uh Okay, let's uh I think the pick is it. I think the pick is it. All right, let's hear from the commissioner now. Yeah, let's go to the commissioner. Uh, with the fifth round pick and the ninth overall in the uh, 2021 Use Your Illusion draft, Nubs selects Pretty Tied Up. Easy Straddler. Mm. Illusion 2. Mm, okay. Okay, I like that. So is this the final pick? This is your final pick, T. All right. Well, with the final pick of the Use Your Illusion draft, Tove picks... So fine. Yeah, let's get a kicker right at the end, buddy. Is that Mr. Irrelevant? The last pick taken? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I really wouldn't pick so fine, but I probably would pick Garden of Eden because here's why, Nub. I don't think you can have the garden without Garden of Eden. And let's turn this music off. And, we, <laughs> and regardless of how we were to sequence this 10 track effort, we would have to put the garden followed by Garden of Eden, which I think was done perfectly. But yeah, um, 
good draft. I think, I mean, I feel pretty good about it. I feel really good about it. And here's why. Let me just walk you through kind of a, a draft sequence of this album. So we've done the draft. We've taken these two volumes and we've squeezed them into one 10 track album. T, here's what it would go like. It would start with Civil War. Okay. Secondly, let's go right into Live and Let Die, with the third track being Yesterday's, fourth, November Rain, fifth, Don't Cry, six, let's go The Garden, seven, Garden of Eden, eight, Pretty Tied Up, nine would be Estranged, and 10 would be Coma. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's like the a, greatest album of all time. Of all time. Best album, greatest album of all time. And in, in, in 300 times platinum. I mean, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I might have got the sequencing a little. I, Don't Cry should probably come before November Rain, but you get the point. It is an incredible album if you remove all of the fluff. Indeed. And, and hey, we, we still left a few pretty good players out there uh, in free sure agency. Did. So, I mean, sure you did. know. We, we could have turned it into a 14 track album just as well. It's almost like Guns N' Roses had that same conversation with each other and went, oh, let's just do two albums of the same day. <laughs> you know, let's just throw everything in there. But wouldn't doubt it. Wouldn't yeah, doubt exactly. It. Exactly. So the kitchen sink approach is probably the reason we're still talking about these albums in the way that we talk about them. But it is clear to see that if, if there was a little bit of editing in the whole process, you would have, uh, you would have really made a, an album that would have ranked up there with, probably the best recordings of all time, certainly in rock music. So T with that, let's take these two shows and these two volumes and go right into the final cut. And T did user illusion one and two matter. Oh, of, of course. Yeah. I mean, the diverse offering was really unique at its time. It was a band that was pigeonholed at, even after appetite for destruction as a sort of glam outfit um, that, that sort of ran one play Axel and, and the gang showed that there are many plays to be run with this band. As I mentioned earlier, some of the writing and composition was siloed, but it feels like a band that's special for a two album effort to be able to pull that off and have it still come across as cohesive. It's not perfect. There are ebbs and flows, of course, as there are on any double album, but the way this was distributed, the way this was released, two separate albums, same day, the artwork with the same consistency, but with the color variation, it was so unique of its time and, and, and incredibly important of its time. And, and this was a time of midnight sales and, you know, I mean, Metallica's Black Album came out not long before this and you know, you had a lot of things going on where, you know, volume of, of record sales and volume of record store fervor around these type of things was at an all time high. And certainly in today's age of digital, et cetera, will never be found again. It was a special time in that way for uh, record sales, uh, for creating excitement around a release, or in this case, releases. And they capitalized on that perfectly. So I think creatively it was incredibly important and interesting commercially it was incredibly important and interesting and you know i wish the band could have built on this it's sad that um you know you had as you've mentioned a few times the spaghetti incident and then a very very long break i thought their return with chinese democracy was valiant 
I think it's great that they've reformed in their original form. Axel still sounds good. The band still plays well. It's great that they're able to, to still go sell out an arena. I think that's awesome. And they deserve it. But creatively, it's a little bit too bad that they couldn't get out of their own way in so many ways. And boy, if they could have created Chinese Democracy, released it on time, and then continued to work as a band and Axel to continue to grow as an artist, it would have been awesome to see where they landed. So that's the only bummer of User Illusion 1 and 2 is to an extent, it's kind of the end, at least from a recording standpoint, and in some ways a a creative output standpoint. But I'm glad we eventually got Chinese Democracy. I was certainly there in 2008 at Best Buy to get that thing. I I, I love it, um, and I'm a huge fan of this band. So there's a little bit of melancholy to it, where you kind of wonder where it could have been. But man, I, I think Use Your Illusion One and Two have aged incredibly well, and probably will continue for a long time. So what do you think, Nub? Nub, did it matter? I think it's really sad, number one, that kids today will never experience a midnight sale or never experience waiting in line for concert tickets. You know, I think that's, those are just experiences that really shaped us as music appreciators and music lovers. And it's too bad that everything is so easy now and everything is just done from a, a device versus the, the experience of going somewhere at midnight. Think about the midnight sales we went to, T. We, we didn't go to User Illusion, but it created a certain amount of demand and appreciation for the item that you just don't get anymore. So that's my old man, you know, soliloquy out of the way. Use your illusion to me did an amazing thing. It, it simultaneously began a number of things in the music business. And it also ended a number of things in the music business. It was a start and an end all at the same time. It launched a time in the music business of complete and utter, utter decadence in the way that the business operated. And for an album like this to sell what it sold, sent a strong message to the music industry of what they were able to get away with. As a band, it put a lot of control back in the hands of the bands. You know, a huge part of this story is that Guns N' Roses had accumulated enough equity in their own band and business that they were able to do whatever the hell they wanted to do. That was a big moment for a label like Geffen, which some, you know, traditionally did give artists a lot of freedom. But this rewrote a lot of the rules about how albums are released, how they're packaged, how they're marketed. And so it started a lot of those trends. It also ended some of the decadence that would get wiped away very shortly after by Nirvana and grunge and the more earthy and organic approach to rock music. So it's the end of an era and also the beginning of a new one in a number of ways. And I think that works of art that do that should be examined and should continue to be examined. So it matters for that way. People should continue to examine Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, not just for what it did musically, but what it did for the music business and the pitfalls that it dove headfirst into, but also the mountaintop that it achieved in a way that probably no other band could ever do this again. No other band will ever release physical product of two albums in the same day, separate albums that both charted, you know, number one and number two. It won't happen again. You know, it holds a really unique and special place in the history of music. It also has some really great stuff on it, you know, and so, yeah, it matters. So, T, on the final cut, we have on the turntable or in the collection, 
or collecting dust or in the for sale bin to where you got use your illusion one and two. So use your illusion one for me nub is on the turntable and use your illusion two for me nub is in the collection. I prefer one over two. The way that two ends is disappointing. To your point, you don't want to overcook that. It's an amazing album. It's very good. Um, I do think that some of the lower points on one, I prefer to some of the lower points on two. And I think that when you get into a dynamic like this, you know, that's sort of the best way to kind of weigh them out relative to one another. But, you know, when I, if I could pick one or the other, uh, it'd be a pretty easy choice for me for one, but um, I'd be real pissed off about having to leave two, you know? So it's two's in the collection. Two's great. The epics are amazing. Uh, kicking it off with Civil War is fantastic. But one top to bottom, you know, holds a special place for me. The way it starts, you kind of move through um, November Rain and Don't Cry and some of these more special tracks toward the middle. And then obviously rounding it out with Coma is just such a cool way to wrap up one, but to also kind of leave you wanting more. And then you have the luxury of popping into and going with Civil War. So that's the way I would uh, place the uh, final cut for these two efforts and in a way for this entire set. How about you now? What do you got, buddy? So I prefer two over one. So, you know, here we are complimenting each other very well in our tastes on these records. And I've got them both in the collection. Neither one is complete enough to be on the turntable. However, there are elements on both that, you know, I'll listen to forever and you will too. They have to be in your collection though. I mean, these are vital pieces of, of musical artifacts from the 1990s. Yeah. Really important stuff. And again, albums that I think have aged well. I think you nailed that. See, things that kids should explore, things that young listeners should dive into and say, hey, what was this phase all about? And uh, so for that reason, I've got them both in the collection. It's interesting. You know, one leaves you wanting more. And two, you think it's the greatest thing ever made until the end. And then you've had enough. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny how one ends with coma mm-hmm. and two ends with tracks that make you be very happy to pick up the needle. So it's, uh, it's just the, the number one year word you can use. And I think you used it well in the uh, opening episode is just fascinating. They're fascinating albums and fascinating works of art for sure. T I'm fascinated by songs that might be ringing in your head. So let's wrap things up here on episode 47 with what is in your head. Come on, Dolores. See what is in your head? <laughs> Dolores, you interrupt me so much. <laughs> she does that. Perpetual does that. interrupter. See what is in your head? First, I've got uh, a little track from uh, the boys from ACDC that came on while we were having some cocktails over the Memorial Day weekend. Who made who? It's a great one. Just kind of chugs along and it's good stuff. I like who made who. That's a good call. Oh, yeah. The second one of the greatest, one of the greatest rap songs ever made, hands down. This is It Was a Good Day by the great Ice Cube. And the third, I'm going to kick it back to Caddyshack a little bit for that Caddy Swim, 2 o'clock to 2.15, with another great summer song that's Mr. Knight by the great Kenny Loggins off of the Keep the Fire 
record. So getting a little summary for me, Nub, what do you got? What's in your hay? Well, I, I got to be honest. I have a lot of Umphreys McGee in my head right now because I just went to my first live show in a year and a half or whatever Excellent. it's been. Excellent. And uh, saw an absolute smashing set from Umphreys in Pontiac. And so been listening to a lot of Umphreys. So Half Delayed would be, you know, it's just one song that came up on the old playlist that I uh, have been enjoying, but a lot of Umphreys for sure. You know, all you got to do is see that band one more time and it gets you right back into the fold. A couple of the summer songs. One would be uh, the Black Crows with Lickin off of the Lions album. My favorite Black yes. Crows album. Yep. Yeah. Great one. And then both of us went the rap route for some of our what's in our heads. So I went with uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony with Home featuring Phil Collins. Yes. Great version. Love, Love it. it. Love that song. So. All right, T. Well, we have made it through Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. And uh, most importantly, our, our listeners have made it there with us. So we appreciate the stick to of everybody who tuned in for these episodes. T, if the episodes weren't epic, they wouldn't reflect the albums, right? So, you know, they have to mirror the tone of the album. So, I mean, aren't all of our episodes epic? I mean, I think, <laughs> right. I think, yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Goodness. No question. No doubt. But T, thanks as always for your, uh, not just your input and thoughts, but I think this was an excellent choice in terms of looking at these two classic, classic records. So we'll be back with more fun and excitement on episode 48. And for now, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And we'll see you next time on Two Twins and an Album. Two Twins. that's about it that's all we have i hope it wasn't too disappointing we will see you on tour until then take it easy